We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Arsenal facing early season injury crisis as multiple players from the squad report hamstring troubles from constantly having to climb the Wembley steps to collect silverware. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommended. I am joined, as ever, by Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause into My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Tim will be back at some point in the future. Um, <clears throat> sort of like Alexis. Uh, so, yeah. It was uh, another day at Wembley and another trophy. We'll have to make sure the players know not to climb the Wembley steps after beating Spurs at Wembley um, in the North London Derby. But that's another issue for another day. Let's start at the end, actually, Paul, and just kick off with the simple question of how should we evaluate winning this game, this quote-unquote trophy, vis-a-vis our enthusiasm for the competitive nature of it and what it means going forward? Okay, well, this is very difficult for basically everybody else, but I've built myself a machine called the Crapatron 4000. Some terrible things happened to our players with the Crapaton 1000, 2000, and 3000, but this one seems to really work. And what you do is you pour in the team into this thing and the circumstances in the game, and it factors in everything, including the opposition, the type of competition it is, how crappy, the, how seriously it's taken, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And allows me to evaluate when our players play brilliantly, whether they were brilliant or not. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm still listening, sort of. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> so if you bear with me just a second. Yeah, no, we were really brilliant. So, okay. um, so yeah. two things. One, uh, I'm not going to put in a rim shot 
uh, in post-production because it's just not worth it. And secondly, your Crapaton 4000 sounds a lot like me masturbating. Anyway, go on. <laughs> um, the sound was so, startlingly similar. Yeah. I mean, what can you do? We were great. And we, we schooled them pretty good. And statistically, we looked like we were the business comparatively to uh, Chelsea. Uh, our front three looked good and exciting, but really, how do you how do you factor that down to a a full intensity Premier League game? There's just no way. So you just yeah. it's kind of like a, a Ben Johnson or a, a Justin Gatlin performance. It might break the world record, but you've got to put like three asterisks next to it. And then you know, but but the viewers know, right? I mean. Our audience are very informed and intelligent. So I think we can gush and flow and everybody knows it's just the 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 shield and you know, otherwise you're you're kind of reporting on something you didn't see, a performance that wasn't there. Because yeah. if you report on the performance that was there, uh, you know, it was really good and yeah, there there's plenty of issues to talk about, but even those the the issues you can minimize away as I might have a tendency to do by saying, yeah, but, you know, when we get this guy back or when the Premier League starts, it'll be, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, overall, you got to say it was a really good performance. There were some significant holes, but, yeah, we could fill them in uh, as we get other players back. Same for Chelsea. You know, we were missing maybe four key players. They were missing maybe three, um, maybe four, depending on how you look at it. But judged on the merits of the day, it was really good. It was a brilliant day, I thought. I don't know what. Clive, any chance you were at the uh, the uh, game? No, I didn't go to the game. I yeah. decided to. Uh, I, I had the game to manage, and then I went to the football club and watched it. And ah. I had a big drink. So right. I need to watch this one a little more closely when sober. <laughs> Look, I mean, we're already in full season form here. You got Paul making sack noises and talking about, you know, Crapaton 4000. Yeah. things and i mean it's it's full season flow here and and i think yeah look the the fact is you can only judge based on what's out there on the pitch and so far this preseason it had been fairly mixed and there had been cause for concern and the transfer business had i think added to some people's uh consternation and trepidation regarding the season that's upcoming so clive i mean given that this is sort of a semi uh meaningful game um it's not you know, and it's not technically a competitive fixture in some ways, but I think if all you had to do was look at how Chelsea celebrated their first goal, and they seemed to be fairly up for it. So was this much-needed encouragement off the back of what has been a little bit of a fear-inducing preseason in some ways? Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we like to analyze the games, and when it comes down to it, right, we're all fans, and the number one emotion that we watch is emotion. Right, so what do you see? How, how do you feel? And since we've gone to this new formation, I feel different watching them. I feel I enjoy it more. I enjoy what they're doing. I enjoy the shape. I enjoy the flow. And, and what you could see, especially in the first half, almost immediately, was a group of players on the same wavelength. So regardless of the players, who the individuals are, I tend to look for the sort of team flow and combination when I'm watching and he jumped out of the screen to me. We were just flowing through the thirds really easily. The ball was moving very, very quickly. Quick decisions, quick passes. Everybody in tune, not keeping it too long. In fact, the longer we did keep it, the more the moves broke down. 
And um, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed what I'm seeing, and I've, and I've enjoyed it for a while now. Um, it's not just the, the new formation and the freshness that it's given all of us, but just the way that we cover the pitch, and it and just how it's like simplified people's jobs. They know what they got to do. They know how to do it. And players can just slot in. We did have three or four out, maybe five out, depends on your preferences. And they just they just slotted in, knowing the job, knowing the role. Right? Wobi is a great example. Just slot into that position, connect connect the play, drive the ball, try to make quick decisions around the box. Don't be too sort of pinned down to one role and, and see how it goes. So, yeah, I regardless of what you think is a friendly or not, I'm looking at you know signs of encouragement and. I felt I felt very encouraged against a team that I thought were taking it seriously against us. They wanted to win, and so did we. And then I felt we edged it. Yeah, and look, I mean, I know it's a cliche and it's been said a lot before, but I think it is true. It is a game that if you lose it, you write it off. But if you win it, you try to take the positives from it and say that it's a competitive fixture and use it as a springboard for the season to come. Um, so, Paul, I, I think. There are quite a lot of uh, positional situations that are interesting that we can get into, and, and there are a lot of players I want to cover. But the first one I want to talk about, I think, is the one that has the most people concerned, and that's central midfield. Uh, we'll, we'll get on to Shaka's man of the match performance, but it seems clear now that he is turning into the kind of quality of, of player for us in central midfield that we really hoped when we signed him and that we desperately needed. The issue now seems to be who is going to partner him. And with Ramsey out injured... Uh, El Neni got to sort of audition for the the role of either backup to Ramsey or potentially a, a rotational option with Ramsey or even a first choice. What did you make of El Neni as the Shaka partner? So I thought he did really good. Um, I've been quite critical of him, mainly because I really like him and I want him to succeed as more than just a squad player. He's definitely a guy we want that I think almost everybody wants to keep around because he's useful and he's never bad. Well. Uh, not in it, not with three at the back anyway. Um, him and Chaka, we've seen in the past, can be run through, but you can say that about pretty much all our midfield pairings. Um, in this particular game, I thought he was very good. Uh, you know, he lets he lets Chaka shine with uh, being the d- uh, deep lying playmaker. Um, does a lot of the the continue. He's really like connective tissue. He's like ligaments and stuff. He just keeps things moving. He keeps the play taken along. Uh, you know, he's not box to box, really. He doesn't make really decisive runs, but he makes some of them. Um, he's got a kind of a pinch of everything. I just wish he was more of a risk taker. I wish he kind of turned the risk reward dial a little bit more. Um, it's not his natural go-to, but I thought in this game... He was pretty progressive. Now we weren't facing Kante and and Matic or Kate and Kante and Bakayoka was Fabregas, which is plus or minuses for for both sides depending on how you look at it. Um, so we had maybe a little bit more time in midfield than we would have had otherwise. Um, but as we've said, you can you, you can only play against what you play, and Fabregas is an important player to them. He can hurt you in other ways. I think they did really well, and I think. Um, Chaka certainly allows, sorry, uh, El Nani certainly allows Chaka to shine. It's whether Chaka, El Nani can also have a good game at the same time. And yesterday, certainly, I thought it was really good. It was his best. He thought he said it was his best performance for us, and uh, I'd said it was one of his best for us. 
And, you know, he'd had a couple of okay performances with Chaka last year. Crystal Palace was one of them where we got schooled. Um, but that could have been just the intensity playing at Crystal Palace and the rest of the team not living up to it. And he did okay at West Ham at home and somebody else, uh, somebody else at home. We had two, de- two decent performances mm-hmm. with him. But again, we weren't really contested in midfield. So in some ways, they're an unknown quantity. But you saw what the body language in the tunnel cam, if you got to see yeah. that. Yeah, he was pretty him fired and <laughs> Yeah. The, uh, him and him and Chaka are pretty good buddies, as they should be, given given their histories, uh, even if they didn't really play together. Um, so, you know, if they've only played a few times together, maybe we, I have been too quick to kind of write that off as a pairing. Uh, you'd certainly want to see a lot more of it after yesterday. Uh, I thought he was really good. At, and he, I mean, he had a good poke a couple of times. Um Shots from deep, get, um, pushing forward, making runs. So I, I just felt it was a more aggressive display from him. And I've got the hint from Arson a few times in his comments in the past that he too uh, would like to see El Neni try and do more, not just connective, not just making a flow. You know, really put his mark in the game because we want him as more than a squad player. We want a guy who. Maybe nobody sees him being truly a, a first eleven starter when everybody's fit, but you want him asking the question and making you miss him when you don't pick him, even if you picked Ramsey ahead of him or whoever it might be. Yeah, but I, go ahead. One one final thing, Chat. In your lead in, it suddenly occurred to me the first time, Chak is the first midfielder we picked now, uh, even ahead of a fully fit Ramsey. If you had to pick one of the two, which you don't have to. Uh, Chaka right now seems the more essential and only Cazorla could shake that and I'm not sure that's realistic anymore yeah and I mean you see him taking more of a leadership role just in terms of behavior body language sort of the team spirit team ethic thing which I I realize is a nebulous concept but you, you see him growing into a leadership role from that deep midfield position where he sees a lot of the pitch and has the ability to sort of watch the game unfolding ahead of him the problem I have with El Nenny is Not that he does anything wrong particularly. He recycles possession and he's a safe pair of boots. But what we saw with the Ramsey-Shaka partnership towards the tail end of last season is that earlier it had been one would go and one would stay. One would make the forward run and one would sit back. But it developed into Shaka stayed deeper and Ramsey went forward. And I think that that dynamic worked best for both players, especially for Shaka. Um, I think his partner has to be more progressive, has to carry a goal threat, has to have a final ball. And Elneny, if he has it, it's certainly not coming out uh, for Arsenal. He definitely will play the safer option more often. And so it is nice to have someone who can help us with possession and maintain possession. Um, But I think especially against the teams you have to beat to win a title, you know, the bottom half teams. I think the problem with playing El Neni is against a park bus. I just wonder if we will lack enough incision, enough final ball from midfield, or if too much of the responsibility will then fall to, <clears throat> assuming he's around, a, a Mesut Ozil to, to pick a pass and set somebody up. Um, uh, so a, a player that I was really impressed by, and, and a guy that I think is such a bright talent, but went off the rails, kind of lost his way at parts last season, was Alex Awobi. And so Clive... Awobi is one of these players, you know, every summer we we have some player in the squad that we're like, oh, if he takes the leap, we're going to be a lot better. And we tend to overhype our players. 
But I actually really think he's close. And a lot of our best play yesterday was when Iwobi was involved. Um, he obviously still needs to get a little more confidence in front of goal. Um, but the quick feet, the the movement in tight spaces, he's not maybe straight line speedy, but but speedy in, in small spaces. What did you make of his performance? Yeah, he, he was okay. Uh, he's uh, he's eye catching. <laughs> no, I, I think he's eye catching. Right, but I want you to be honest with yourselves now. Right, so you know when it comes down to it, doing eye catching turn, doing eye catching dribble, doing and uh, moving the ball is one thing. But then you need to trust. You ask yourself, has he got the conviction to really finish things off, to make the final pass, to really make it count? And that's where I think he needs to improve. I think he's trying a bit too hard. I think he's dancing around the ball a little bit. I think if he trusts his first instinct and does things more instant, I think he'll get more in product. I mean, I, I, I like him. I like a lot of our players. But he's one of those players that plays left, right, in the middle, can play in the 4 3 3, one of the, one in the midfield three. What, what's he going to be eventually? What's, what's he going to be? And he's. I think the development for him this season is to really find his position and really become a, you know, not so much a specialist, but really work on that. And I think, because um, he's physically very strong, people just bounce off him. It's like, it's like running into a wardrobe, right? So he's really strong. And if he could add uh, some defensive intensity, I think he could play in, in, in different roles uh, and slightly deeper roles. I think he, he could be really strong in the challenge. And much like a little bit like El Nenny, they're they're both good technicians that can manipulate the ball really well. But what they lack is defensive intensity in it. And I think El Nenny maybe has some time at centre back. I think he's improved at that. I think he's improved at he's sprinting into the challenge. I think in the top top games, you need to be able to do both sides of it. Not just flashy dribbles into the box, but you need to defend. And if you're looking at Arsenal as a whole. Arsenal in the top six teams, we conceded the most goals last year and we conceded the most shots on target. So immediately when we think of our players, we think of them on the ball. We need to start thinking of what they're doing off the ball. How are we protecting the areas of the pitch we need to to stop people running through us, as Paul alluded to. That's the biggest development for this group at the moment. We could do five or ten more goals, everyone could do with that. But we need to stop conceding and, and we've got to decide how we want to do that and what type of players we want to do. So, um, Iwobi, yes, bright, seems focused, wants to re-establish himself. Still work to do when it comes to end product and convincing me that he's got the right conviction of the final pass, final shot, final decision. It's so funny because, actually, I don't know how many of the post-match comments from the players or the manager that you looked at but in Awobi's interview after the game, he said, I, I really need to work on convincing Clive uh, about my end product. So <laughs> um, it, I think you guys are on the same wavelength. And, you know, with yep, any luck, he'll get yep. there. That's no, good. I'm pleased. I get that because we have a lot of nearly players. And the nearly part is usually the buildup. I mean, you know, the Alex Leb syndrome or even to some extent the Gervinho syndrome. I mean, Gervinho had a lot of quality. He was fast. He could dribble. Um, he got near the box and his brain fell out of his ear and rolled off the pitch. So it's just like, that's the hardest part to get down. Look at Danny Welbeck. I mean, yeah. again, so many of these players, Danny Welbeck can do everything on a football pitch. He is fast. He is powerful. He can see a, a run to make or see a run to make a pass. But when he has to play the final ball, uh, whether that's a, a pass or a shot, it's, it's not there for him. And you just can't have that many players on the pitch who are really talented until they get 
around the box. The thing I like about Awobi is I don't think we have a lot of players, needle players like that, who can play in that space, you know, 10 yards out from the penalty area and, and in towards the attacking goal who can beat a guy with a dribble or play a little dagger pass or make a little run into the box. Obviously, Alexis can do that. Ozil can do it. And that's really it. So he <clears throat> he gives us one more player who I think has that ability. I mean, Ramsey Ramsey's a little more buccaneering maybe in style. But I, I was more impressed maybe than you were. I, I do see your point, though. These players have to find conviction in, in the final third for them to be able to, to really contribute to what we need them to do. And Paul... And Arson did say, because Iwobi said the boss had told him he needs goals and assists. That's what moves him to the yeah. the, the starting 11. Yeah. I mean, so. He got to the end line once. He had a cutback opportunity that I don't think he did well with. He had a, a chance to sort of curl one that he, he he wasn't sort of brave enough in starting it outside the post and started it too close yeah. to the keeper. That shot, that shot, Elliot, is exactly what I'm talking about. If you watch him now, he's picked up a habit of leaning back when he's shooting. Yeah. And he leans back and he tries to pass it in. and Because he's almost afraid to fail. The goal he scored preseason, I was really pleased with that. He just smashed Thumped it. Thumped it, yep. You know? <laughs> and I was, I was at the game. He's got so much body power. If he lets it go and stops thinking too much, just, just trust your power, trust your physicality, and start smashing these people out of the way. He did it to Fabregas. He put him on his ass. He's got to trust himself a lot more. Stop trying to be... Perfect. Stop worrying about this being dispossessed. First thing you see, do it, and do it quickly, and do it with conviction. And he'll get more end product by doing that. Yeah. And, and I mean, Arson said he had a good eye for goal when he first came into the team, and he scored a few goals when he first came in. And he was pretty good at youth level in his final couple of years. If I'm not that I can follow it that closely, but that's kind of how I yep. remember it. So I think right. Clive is right that if he that if he can trust himself, I mean, I mean, his XG chain or his XG buildup, basically his contribution to other people doing goals and assists is like basically lead leading, league leading. So, I mean, he's doing good work, but that doesn't get you into the first 11. He's, do, he's helping other people shine, but in a 3-4-3, uh, three, three, there's only a couple of spots that he can play and any of those spots have to provide goals and assists. Being Helping other people do goals and assists really doesn't work so good in a 3-4-3. Three, three. Well, it's tough, and this is where football can be cruel, because if Alexis stays, and obviously that's a big if, but you know, assuming he does, he's not taking Alexis or Ozil's role in the two behind the striker, and he's not taking the role of the striker. So he would be the rotational option into one of those positions. But then if you do the ruthless thing and go out and get a Thomas Lamar, for example, Thomas Lamar is going to play in one of those positions ahead of a Wobie and suddenly have this very talented young player who doesn't see a clear path to first-team football, and that's, that's the cruelty of the mm -hmm. modern game. One player who is going to have to have end product, and it's the reason he was brought in, is Alexander Lacazette. Um, I, I think sort of a mixed day, fair to say. He had the two touches in the box and the curling shot that hit, hit the post, and... You know, if that goes in, we're probably saying he did exactly what he was brought in to do, take his one chance and, and finish it spectacularly, but it didn't. And so he's he's uh, a donkey and we should get rid of him or at least not play him for a while. I'm kidding. Paul, um, any takeaways from Lacazette? Yeah. Yeah. So we were promised a player who's who knows his way around the penalty box, specifically the six-yard box, and how to ghost I mean, into there. I'm going to stop you. It It's 18 yards. Like, it's not that big. You don't. Like, it's pretty easy to find your way around. Like, it's, it's a rectangle. Um, there's a goal on one Elliot, side. Like, Elliot, you know? I'm short on time. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. 
Like you don't but, need Google Maps. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm trying to say. Like, you know. Yes, but it's how you finance it, Elliot. How? Fair enough. Yeah. So um, technical, uh, high completion rate, high uh, high accuracy and technicality with his passing. You know what he does. He does well. Um, and I think we really saw that in the little he did, everything kind of came off. Uh, he was involved in two really good counterattacks, one where he was at the origin of it, then picked up the ball from Bellerin, uh, then fed it across and got back on for the shot. He, he um, might have had a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Well, Welbeck was one touch away from feeding it to him on a counterattack where, yeah. when Welbeck got fouled, you know, when he got uh, pulled yeah. from, from the back. Yeah. yeah. And I also feel that you can tell a lot about a man's character by his vices as well as his virtues, and you can tell a lot about a striker by their misses. I mean, that was one hell of a miss. He he didn't do a Welbeck. He didn't do a uh, Courtois penalty. Uh, he missed like Thierry Henry would like to miss, right? Off Just off the inside of the post, another inch, curving inwards. And when you look at why it went out that wide, getting around Gary Cowell's giant arse, um, he kind of needed to swing it from wide right back in. So uh, I was quite heartened by that as a, a miss and his attitude which to it, which is it'll go in next time. So the, on that, there's all of that side. Then, you know, people might want him. I know Linus has a concern he may not impress himself in the, on the game, and that's been... Linus, by, by the way, uh, mean, lean, mean Lean, the man yeah. who runs Arsenal Vision, who uh, used to do some preamble at the start of this podcast, but has since decided that uh, it's not worth his time. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Too busy. Um, so, But the only thing I'd say is while he, he did some really nice things in terms of build-up, but yeah, mostly you'd say he was pretty quiet except when it kind of counted how he scored. Um, I forget which manager talked about that recently when defending a striker, which says you can have a striker who's uh, involved in build-up and really busy or a striker who appears from nowhere and puts the ball away, but you kind of can't have both. If, if he's going to disappear off the radar and pop up where the defenders didn't see him coming, he can't be Mr. Build-up too, so you take your pick. So it's been a while since we've had a good... He's had a couple of goals in preseason. You say, well, what do they really mean? But what I liked about all of the goals was not so much the finish, which was fine. It was the kind of ghosting in. There were other people who could have made that run, other people who did make a run. But he was the guy who adjusts his speed so that he arrives in the pocket just at the right moment without a marker. So, I think what you're trying to say is he knows his way around the penalty area. That would he knows be, his way be a good way to say that. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> no. uh, well, so so Paul, but I mean, contrast yeah. that, you know, with a player like Danny Welbeck, and I, I Welbeck yeah. is such a conundrum for me because he he can't finish. Uh, what's the expression for toffee? I don't understand what the fuck that means, by the way. But yeah. um, I mean, he he is not a good it finisher. Means, but Elliot, if you offered him toffee, he wouldn't get any better. Oh well, is toffee something that makes some people better and not others? Like, is there some quality about toffee that's like spinach they, for Popeye? They love it in know? England. Got it, it. Okay. It's inexplicable, but they love toffee in England. Yeah. All right. Well, blood pudding too, but you know. Um, so, anyway, look the the thing about Danny Welbeck is so fast, so strong, so dynamic, such good runs, nipping at the heels of of the defenders. You know, he took it right off. Wh whose foot was it? Was it Alonso's foot that he took it off of? Um, yeah. Uh, Aspilicueta. Aspilicueta, thank you. Yeah, I mean, 
he he's involved a lot. He's constantly no, noticeable. He's one of those players that that doesn't Look at me. drift Look at me. out of games. Yeah, but but then you know he, you, he's a brilliant decoy. I, I think it's a great comparison. He's he's almost the opposite of at least how I described Lacazette. Yeah, well, but so this is my question for you, Paul. I mean, obviously, there's been some discussion lately. Uh, we might have a 30 million pound offer from Everton for Wellbeck, and I'm seeing a lot of okay. sell, sell, sell. You know, and then some people are saying well, we should sell Giroud. For my money, when oh. so well me uh, for my money when when I watch us play and Danny Welbeck starts, I almost always see us put in a more dynamic um, performance. I rarely see us uh, just sort of drift through the game lifelessly. And with all due respect to Giroud, who finishes much, much better than Welbeck, there are some stagnant performances with Giroud in the side. I mean, is Welbeck's dynamism and contribution to our overall play as as good as I'm making it out? Do you see him as being as valuable as that for someone who does not have the end product he needs to have? Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of have a joke wandering around my head that one of these days, the mo- world's most brilliant decoy... Uh, the other team is just going to let him go because he can't finish for Toffee. Um, but, of course, he can still hurt you with the ball because he can lay it off pretty nicely. And he, he actually he, – I think he scores the Thierry Henry goal better than he does the Sergio Aguero in the box being busy, getting his feet sorted, getting his balance sorted kind of goal. So, you know, Thierry coming in from the left wing – uh, kind of the classic curving it inside the post is a is a goal that uh, uh, Welbeck has scored or or come damn close many many times uh, from that side. So he definitely has goals in him if he can get into the right positions, the right angles. So you wouldn't really want to let him go. I, I think he's a force of nature. I think he imposes himself on every game. Uh, as a, even if he's three quarters fit. Um, he's just unstoppable. There was a, there was one moment I've kind of been bitching about him not like lifting his legs and really going for it when he was when he runs. But there was one moment he really had to stretch out and go for the ball, and he just like he always goes past players. He just surged past because that was the only way to reach it to the ball, reach the ball in time. He likes to keep his knees low because that actually aids your ability to actually do something with the ball when you get to it. But he's got so much in the tank, he just powers past people. And I don't think, I think he was a big piece of why our front three, Iwobi's really good at running at defenses. Chelsea's really good at keeping their defense tight, but Iwobi had quite a bit of joy. And I think a big part of that was uh, Danny making the runs, tearing at the fabric of their defense, and Lacazette doing his thing too. I think there were uh, two really intelligent workers, runners, making. Uh, Danny looked very dangerous. Uh, sorry, Iwobi looking very dangerous when he attacked mm-hmm. the penalty area and finding those gaps and people to play off. Yeah, uh, there's no chance we'll sell Welbeck, in my opinion, and no chance I'd want to. And as, ta- as uh, Clive was nudging, I think we saw yesterday, weirdly, the reason why you would absolutely would not want to sell Giro. Uh, yeah, he didn't score the goal, but the goal s- scored by uh, Kalasinic uh, was a classic Giro goal. It was, uh, in fact, the commentator thought it was Giro. I thought it should have been Giro. 
Um, All right, look, I, I will for, uh, forgive me for being anti-Giroud. We, we are no, yeah, we well, are not giving Giroud goals that other people score. We're not doing it. I'm not having it. You are. You're so unfair, <laughs> Elliot. Anyway, so, um, you know, when when Giroud came on, regardless of the performance, it felt right. It felt like the right substitution at the right time. <clears throat> Bringing on a Theo, maybe Danny coming on at that point, point would have given you the same kind of surge of energy but not the same finishing that you get with Giroud so uh, god arson be ruthless don't sell Welbeck don't sell Giroud if you got to sell some players you know I could name you a few even good, good ones that we want to hold on to but but not those two uh, I think if you look at the best teams they've all got options I guess uh, my problem front. with that Paul is that, like you got Lacazette you got Danny Welbeck you got Giroud Alexis might want some time at center forward. You have Theo Walcott, who I don't think is a fit for the two behind the one. So his only position may be center forward. And at some point you say, that's not a balanced squad and you got to get money somewhere. So if Giroud on the wrong side of 30 is worth 30 million pounds, and then you just have a clear idea of who your options are up front, I, I think at some point you Sell have to make hard. All right. Play I, Alexis. Yes, but is there someone the that's going to buy Theo on his wage? In his, I mean, maybe. Yeah. But there definitely yeah. are people prepared to buy Olivier Giroud. Um, but I agree with you. I think the point is we have, we have got to start making some tough choices. And, uh, Paul, do you need to run? No, not yet. Okay. Nice try, though. Nah, damn it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but, but and one of those players that I think tough decisions, again, have to be made with Clive is, is Oxlade-Chamberlain. And this is a guy who wants to play central midfield. We're not playing him there. He's playing left wing back. He's playing right wing back. He's playing on the flanks. He doesn't get played it. At, uh, at central midfield, and he's not putting in the performances that he would need to to make him indispensable. And sometimes it's not a case of a player being bad or a club making bad decisions. Sometimes it's just not a fit. Is it time to look at Oxlade-Chamberlain as a, a player who isn't close enough to the finished article at any one position that we need to cash in on him and move away from him as an option? That 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 is an option. I mean, it what, what did option. you think of his performance? Well, it was okay, but you know, were we really expecting him to play left wing back and do really really well? I mean, didn't he play there for the FA Cup final? Or am I misremembering? And pulled out and pulled out a seven out of ten performance as, as a whole team produced a nine out of ten performance. So I thought yeah. he done. He what he does well is he matches up Moses physically, and he did well against Moses on the day. But I think he sacrifices himself in that role. He can't. He's he, he did put some left footed crosses in, but they weren't. You could tell that he was looking after his technique and he was playing a bit safe. And his, as he was striking it, a lot of them were hitting the first man. When he came inside his right foot, he was better, and he sort of recycled it out to the right side. But yeah, it's, it's not his position, and so what we've all done is we've gone and judged him on that. And look, we we all sort of. Um, we're all sort of tainted by the fact we're thinking, well, look, mate, you haven't, you, you've been asked for many, many years now. You're, you're well paid to play for you know, a top level club. Why won't you sign the contract? If you don't want to sign the contract, let's have a look at what you actually do. You're not the first choice right wing back. You're not the first choice left wing back. You're not the first choice centre midfield. So, you know what? We've got too many players. Let's sell you. It'll be a shame if it comes to that because I think he looks like somebody that's ingrained in the club's culture and I, and I really like him I like him as a player I like what he could be um, we spoke we spoke about Theo Walcott at nearly 29 we're ready to sell Octay Chamberlain at 23 
I feel as though I'd like him, I would like him to want to stay here. If he doesn't want to stay here, then we should cash in. And when he's going to go somewhere, he's going to regret it because he won't be first choice at any other top four club. And he'll end up in a similar situation. And so I hope he does sort it out. And I, 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 I like what the player could be. Yes, we all know his frailties. Yes, we know he's inconsistent. Yes, we know he loses. There's so the ball. many of the basics wrong. I mean, that that's really what's frustrating. I mean, he he yeah. his best things are things where he's using his physical gifts. You know, running past people, his strength to push the ball past and and power past people or dribble out of tight spaces. When he's doing that, he looks a very talented player. But the basics, the simple passes, the easy decisions, and worse, you know, the final ball decisions. None of that seems exactly. to be there for him. Well, as Tim's always said in the past, right, and quite one of his lines, he says he, he, he struggles to see Alexis and Oxley chambering in the same team. And the reason he gives that is he says they're both loose in possession. But we, we suffer it with Alexis because he's top assist, top goal scorer. But we don't quite get the end product. Like we got more end product from Oxley chambering last season than any other season. We don't suffer it the same because we don't get the reward. We get all the risks. We don't get the consistent reward. But we can all see the ceiling. We can all see the potential. And we're waiting. Well, we've, we've, done, we've waited for many players. We've waited for Ramsey. We've waited for Walcott. We've waited for Gibbs. We've waited for Jack. We've waited for many, many players. And But people are running out of patience with him. And, and they feel as though he should be more... You know, you should be more privileged to play for us rather than looking at ways to go away. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm easy. I'm easy, whichever way it goes. But I want him to want to stay. I want to produce. I want to improve. The club, the squad is so big. We don't appear to be able to buy until we sell. And as you start to look at players, whether it's Giroud or Welbeck or Theo or Ox, those are players that could all be big contributors for us or other teams. But at some point, if they're not clearly a key contributor for you. I think you got to mind your first 11 before you start worrying about your squad. Um, I'd rather recoup $30 million from Ox and, and turn it into a player who can be the every week, week-in, week-out Shaka partner, for example. Paul, uh, some final words from you on, on Oxlade-Chamberlain? Yeah, I, I agree mostly with Clive in, in terms of his evaluation of the player. What's a, I was trying to win an argument on the Twitters the other day, and when I went that back, was I was mistake. shocked. Yeah, <laughs> I went back uh, back to last year and I was shocked how many times Ox had started on the left. I thought he started mostly on the right and occasionally on the left and that that was a bit unfair of him. But he mostly started on the left. I think just making up a few numbers, it was like eight on the left, uh, one or two in midfield and then like just like three on the right, something like that. But that kind of split. And if we're judging his season last year and he did pretty damn good a few times when he played for us and other times not so good, I think we need to split it down the middle and say, let's judge Oxlade Chamberlain based on playing on the right or playing in the middle. And the last bunch of times I've seen him, he's a super exciting player. I wouldn't want playing against me. And the times I've seen him on the left, uh, you know, you would make excuses for him because it's not really fair to him. I think he's doing okay, but you certainly wouldn't go out and get that player to play in that position. So th that it, it's tough, though, because we haven't seen enough days when he plays good, but then we haven't played him enough on the right and in central midfield. Playing on the left should be good for him, but it doesn't show him to his best abilities. So uh, personally, I'm still really keen to keep him. 
Um, the only reason I would want to see the Ox go is if it was the only way we could get in the cash to get some key player we wanted. And I know I can't keep all the players I want. Um, but no, I, I definitely rate Ox still much higher than you. I think he does a lot of things very well when when in his right positions. And so, so what a I would say, Paul, badly when in his wrong position. Yeah, Welbeck has clear deficiencies in his game and clear qualities. But when Welbeck is on the pitch, I think he makes Arsenal play better than some of the alternatives we could put on the pitch. I have not yet seen Ox play any position for us where I thought he makes us better, and I'd rather he be the option at that position than the alternatives. I mean, I have. I've when, at his best at right wing back. I was trying to work out how Bellerin... Yep. Hmm. Uh, Unless Bellerin is at his tops, which he hasn't been for a while. So, you know, you can go and defend Bellerin if you like. But Ox at his tops last year was better than Bellerin for 90% of his games. Yeah, you know what? That's fair. And and Ox in central midfield was a revelation. Now, uh, he wasn't... In none of these scenarios was he fully tested across enough games and against enough tough opposition but he looked like the fucking messiah in midfield for a couple of games doing what Cazorla did for us swinging balls like Chaka does from midfield so something really interesting there and and you can't dismiss the fact that he can run out of defense beat people hands down when uh, when we've reached a point of the game where nobody else can get in behind them or shake up their defense he can do things nobody else can uh, at his best now i i still recognize you know, most of the weaknesses to most of the degree you talk about. And uh, so maybe it's just a question of degree. I just look at the player who played against AC Milan in the home leg of that Don't. Champions League tie where we went out and he played on the right wing and he roasted them. They could not stop him. He was rampant and he was rampant yeah. because he was just too fast, too powerful, could push the ball, could get by his man and create opportunities. And I look at the player he is now and I don't see a different, better player. I but see ha, the same ha, player he was then. Yeah, but but that's really, really good. No, no, no. Plus, I, plus, I get well, it. I, plus, I, he I had those him, other moments. Yeah, Clive. I watched him. I watched him preseason against Seville, and he did just that. He ran yeah. past them consistently on the right wing and just destroyed. It was a nightmare, his man. Yeah, destroyed no, that's man. my point though. When he's at his best is when he's in a role where he can get the ball and and I call it. You know, and I call I it, put it to you, sir. That when he's at his best is pretty much every time he's been played on the right in the last yeah. six months. Should I, should, I, should I tell you what this is? Right, I call it John Barnes syndrome. Right, so John Barnes, great player. When he beats everybody, everyone loves him. When he doesn't, oh, he needs to do more. He needs to do more. When he when he when he's beaten four men, he needs to make the better his final decision. Well, hold on, not many people can beat four men. I think we need to recognise what he has got. I do think he's a player that needs to be loved. And that's his issue. And I think Wenger moving him around, he takes it too personally. And uh, we paid in seven or eight different positions last season. And I think he's very valuable to the squad. But he doesn't feel valuable to the squad because there are 33 players in our squad. So where does he see himself? So why would you commit to a team with a huge bloated squad like we already have? He needs to feel loved. If, if an agent saying, I've got a team that loves you, he's going to think about it. And I think that's the issue. It's up to us to clear the space or clear him out. We've just got to make a decision. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm real going quick. to leave this in you your safe hands. Okay. Hey, Paul, uh, we'll see you after the Leicester game. 
All right. Bye, Paul's guys. on Twitter. Positive my pants. Thanks, Paz. All right. So, Clive, that, let's get through. I want to get to all the incidents in the game in sort of a quick hitter fashion. Then we'll come back on to the player stuff. So just real quick, I want to get your. Oh, please. Your oh, I want to talk about Lacazette as well. And I want to talk about television. And I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to talk about Chaka. We got, we got a lot to get to. And we're at the 40 minute mark. So uh, I want to get some quick hitter stuff from you, though, on on uh, moments of the game. First of all, the Bellerin tackle on Alonzo. For me, that's intentional. He's sending a message. There's, you know, there's enmity there. Did you think that that was intentional? Yep, I thought Bellerin absolutely murdered Alonso in the cup final. And he ran him to. He ran. He played, played best game of the season in the cup final, and I think he wants to get him every time he plays him, and I love it. Yeah, he had a kick at him, and I mean, if there's a nasty streak in Bellerin, that's just fine with me. Um, there were some elbows flying around. I don't know if the one on Pera was intentional, but when they got their goal. For me, that's Cahill going in leading with an elbow and swinging it. And, I mean, Shaka puts his hands up like, what the hell? And then the commentators, at least over here, are saying, oh, Cahill just wanted it more. Well, you try running your face into someone's elbow and tell me who's going to feel like they want it more. I mean, for you, should that have been waved off? I think what Cahill does, he's reckless with his arms. He's reckless to a point where he focuses very much on the ball. And so you can't accuse him of looking at the player and then taking him out. So, and even the one with the one that was quite interesting was the one when he actually went into his own player. That proves how when he actually Is it David Luiz. David Luiz, yeah. yeah. And that's just him. He's just looking at a situation, throwing his head into the into a situation. He's a very brave player, very brave. But I think he's reckless, and I think in foreign leagues he'd be gone. In England, oh, you need your arms to jump. Don't worry about that. It's only eight stitches. Do you know what I mean? So it's just a different. Well, here's what I say, though. The game. So, yeah, you're right. You need your arms to jump. But if you look at most players, their arms, when they jump, they go into the air, but they're kind of straighter. Cahill yeah, keeps so the elbows out, and he's doing it. And my, my theory is he knows if my elbows are up when I jump, they can't contest me heading yeah. it because they've got to well, come through to... my elbow to do it. So he's not swinging the elbows so much, but he's using it to prevent... Clear a space. Yes, exactly. Space. And that, that I don't believe that that should be allowed. So what he does... What he does, he jumps early. So he gets up early and he clears the space on the way down. Right? So, and so you, you know what's what commentators do and pundits, they look, at, they look at his eyes on the ball and they don't see his arms. Well, you have a personal responsibility for your opponent, right? And he's, I thought it was, it was 50 50 on the weighted to per. It really, I didn't think it was good. And I felt we lost some momentum in the game and it probably, we didn't get it back until they scored, actually. Then we, then we woke up. So, um, I think he's reckless rather than intentionally dirty, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I I still don't think their goal should have stood, though. I mean, regardless of whether it's intentional, there are things you can't do. Um, the red card, I mean, I think that's a really, really nasty challenge from Pedro. And there are a lot of people saying, oh, it's just a yellow. I mean, forgetting the fact that his studs are showing and he goes through Elneny's Achilles... You can go to ground from the side and maybe get away with that, but you cannot go to ground with your stud showing from behind the player like that, right? I mean, that's a red card all day. Yeah, it's similar. Funny enough, I don't know what the ruling was, how he, how he, how he read it, but if you think back to the Shaka red card against Swansea, where he took the man, but the ball was a mile away, it's a very similar. So did he do it for a violent tackle, or did he do it because... The ball was nowhere near in playing distance, and it was and it was reckless from behind. Because that could be the second instance of that ruling, when the rule that only applied to Shaka and no one else, right? So, um, mm-hmm. but it's a sort of tackle that people want to see taken out of the game, but not many referees are brave enough to do it. But he did it, 
So well done. Well, here's my attitude. If the guy's past you and you want to take him down, clip his foot and get him to trip over his own legs. You know what I mean? Like you see that sort of cynical foul all the time and that's a clear yellow card. Going to ground with your stud showing from behind, you can really hurt someone. Um, and uh, yeah, I, for me, that's a red card. So then, I mean, those were some of the key incidents. I mean, we, we had some good opportunities. Uh, obviously, the, the Kolasinac goal was fantastically executed and it came from a Shaka set piece delivery following the red card. So let's come on to Shaka for a minute. This is a player who uh, Phil McNulty called Arsene Wenger's worst transfer ever. Um, uh, I, some guy named Graham, son Graham Bailey maybe, said uh, pound for pound worst transfer in Premier League history. I get it, right? I mean, these guys are paid to have opinions and go on record with them right away. But I thought even last year when he was supposedly not performing, he was still one of our most integral parts. I remember us on this very podcast um, at the start of last season you know, sort of being a little bit frustrated that Wenger wasn't trusting him more, uh, especially frustrated that Wenger didn't contest that red card, and we really struggled during the games that he missed. How spectacular has he been since this switch uh, to the the three at the back, and in particular, how impressed were you with with him on on the day? Yeah, um, I think he's he's fast becoming one of the only players we, we can't replace because... The way that role, the way he makes that role work, and, and I think we just we spoke about it before. You called it like hub and spoke, and that, that's very much how we play. So if you if you sort of imagine the team formation as a an outer circle, and you're what I call your big space exterior players, so your wing backs, your deeper centre back, and your you know your your centre forward. And these are those are the players that really look after your the the outside of your team. They're the, you're, they're your sprinters. Then you have your small space players, like a, a smaller wheel in the middle, your hub in the middle. And Shaka is the main part of that hub, but he and he links with Alexis and Erzo and Ramsey as the as the inner wheel to Arsenal to make us go forward and and, and connect us to our outer wheel. And that's how I see football. In that, in the, within those two wheels, you see a, a line down the middle, and that's your spine, right? So, Xhaka is part of that spine, and the, the the thing that makes him unique is his range of pass, right? He can he can do every single pass in the book. He's got distance. He can his pace of pass is really it sends a message. He's passing, so he punches it to you. He's telling you what to do with it. I'm giving it to you quick because you're getting pressed. Move it off the spot quickly. And his support line running is good. And where he's really improved, he's now covering more distance. So he's getting back into the box and he's defending. So he's a bit more all-round. And I felt last year maybe he just wasn't used to the intensity. So when he was stressed defensively... Also, the amount of space he had to cover, Clive. I mean, the three at the back allows him to know that he's covering 10 yards of space laterally and behind him instead of 40 yards, you know? Absolutely. He's sitting in an armchair now, isn't he, with three people yep. behind him that, all, that are all good on the ball. And, and I if, think actually Wenger, can, Wenger has taken a responsibility them. off of him. You know, earlier in the season, he he would have to get more forward, more advanced than the other midfielder from time to time. He was sort of sharing that role of being the more advanced central midfielder. He's not doing that as much, and I think it, he looks so much more at ease staying that little bit deeper. Yeah, I mean, there are people... You know, people have said when he arrived here that he could be our next captain, and and people laughed at the time. And I, I, I always, certainly it feels my position. I always look at the most, and I just think he's unique. Well, if you look around the league, 
right? So there's, there's not many people like him. There's not many people. That shot, if it had gone in, you know, it would be. Oh, that's, been, that was know, a fantastic it, shot. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And you know, you know so, the red cards he was getting too, and the bad challenges. They were, I, they weren't dirty. It wasn't like violent play. It was more that he was too far up the pitch. A guy was getting past him, and yeah, he, he felt he, he had panics. to take him out. Yeah, and and yeah, by sitting deeper, he's not exposed. Exactly, that's exactly. He's right. not exposed. Yeah, he's not exposed anymore. So he's panicking less. He's making better decisions. Oh, guess what? He's twenty four now. He's learning. That's all it takes. And what people are quick to write him off. And yes, there were periods when he didn't look very athletic. But if you're covering 20 yards of space and then doing a doggy run to do and cover the next 20 yards, eventually you're going to look tired. The whole the whole unit looks better positioning. We just cover the pitch in, in a better way. And if he misses a tackle, if he, someone pops off his left shoulder, Monreal comes in and nicks it right next to him. And we move from there. And his main role is to be available. And he's always been available. He knows how to do support line runs, and he, and he's always got a picture. So his head's always on on the spin. He checks his shoulders all the time, and he moves it really quickly. Yeah, he's a brilliant player. I don't think it's any. I don't think any Arsenal fan needs to be convinced any longer. And most of us were convinced end of last season, and we're now we're hundred percent convinced. And you know, all I'm thinking about is now. Okay, we've now created another single point of failure, because who can do that role when he's not there? potentially in a different way El Nenny could connect us Oxley chamberlain has got the range of pass but could we trust either of them to do the role see I don't think Even he has the range 70%. of pass because I think the simple connective passing and the recycling I don't think Ox can do that actually I no mean, he, yeah the simpler five yard pass yeah. he can struggle with but the, the 50 yard diagonal yeah he can do that you yeah. know so um, and that's what makes Shaka so unique right so um He's got a little bit Arteta and a little bit Fabregas, right? I mean, he can he can recycle possession, but he can also ping the ball over the top or out to the wings from 30, 40 yards out. Yeah, and some of his best games have come with El Nenny, actually. And I always felt in a 4-2-3-1, the best partnership for a 4-2-3-1 was actually Shaka and El Nenny. When Ramsey, obviously Ramsey's a very forceful running player, and he plays that. You know, I call them almost like three number tens behind a striker, and he pushes in ahead of ahead of Shaka, and it suits him. He wants to be in that part of the pitch, and he moves, and you know his movement is excellent. But when it comes to being a partnership, I feel he. Le- I, I still feel we we concede too many shots. So you have to ask yourself the question why, and so. I like Elneny. I like what he does, but he wasn't intense enough. He's improved his intensity. And it's allowed more trauma. It allowed us to pick up the ball in broken play. And Shaka can play an early pass. And I, I, I'm, I think we've got another option. I'm not saying Elneny's the man. I'm not saying Ramsey's the man. And you know what? Arsenal fans are not saying that even them are the man. Because we're all crying out for a centre midfielder. Well, that's, so that's the telling problem. us yeah. what we need. That's telling us we've got promising players, really good players. But that player... We haven't got. And I'm sorry, mate. The line that Tim quoted, it hasn't left me. I think it's from Rory Smith. We have a bunch of three-star hotels. Mm-hmm. And it's just stayed in my head. And, and that's what we have. Now, maybe Elneny gave us a four-star performance at the weekend with potential. Ramsey gave us a four, five-star performance in the cup final. But have we got that man that walks on the pitch and says, I'm the man, and you've got to now... Now, you you now walk to my beat. And I don't think uh, we've got that player yet. 
Well, you know, I, I agree. And I, I think, you know, this is the mistake I think Arsene has made through the years is that he's had some really spectacular players in this last 10 years and he just either hasn't been able to or hasn't decided to support them the way they needed to really take us on. And the way Shaka looks right now, he looks like the kind of central midfielder that can, that can take you somewhere. He needs a partner that really suits his game and can take the team forward. And for me, the, the difference between Shaka and, and Santi Cazorla is that Shaka doesn't have a dribble. He can't get out of tight spaces with his, you know, with his feet. He can't carry the ball. Yeah. He's going to progress the ball with passes, and he's going to look to make the more progressive, more challenging pass when he can make it, and that's great. I think he needs a partner who can collect, turn, and carry it forward or get out yeah. of a, sp- a tight spot with, with his feet, ideally with physicality as well, but even if he doesn't have physicality, just with his feet. And so to me, if you could partner Shaka with someone like that, you, you're on to something really special. And as much as I like Aaron Ramsey and, and he has great quality, he doesn't have that quality, and, and Elneny certainly doesn't. Ironically, Oxlade-Chamberlain kind of does, um, but you know we, we've covered him at length. It'll be interesting to see what the manager does with midfield because, again, it's a case where he's, he's on to something really special with Shaq. Uh, will, he, will he look for the partner for him to get the most out of him? Um, you know, We hadn't seen much of Kolasinac this preseason to really form an opinion. He had a fairly eye-opening cameo in this game. I, I think he was... Hard to miss when he's on the pitch. In terms of his uh, stature, in terms of the style of play, and certainly the goal he scored to equalize, this could actually be a really impactful addition to the squad that has been kind of glossed over all summer long. Are you starting to think that maybe as he gets more integrated and, and ultimately takes over that left wing back role, that this adds a quality to our, our overall play that we have not had in a long, long time? Yeah. he's uh, I, I, Again, I went to Emirates Cup birthdays, and he was immediately eye-catching just how he looks the intensity of his running he has his short pitter-patter step which almost doesn't belong on the size of man that he is but that he's got a lovely agility around the football and he moves it and he's i always call it i call it clarity of game he's so clear what he is so he, he gets it and he drives pops it inside and he drives again he commits to his overlaps the timing of his overlaps are good. And when he's in the box, he's strong. And he's just, I mean, it's interesting. He's, he's turning into a, a mini cult figure after a couple of games. And that does not tell you, it sort of tells you about the Arsenal fan subconscious, is that we, we want a powerful player in this team. We've been crying for it secretly for a long time. You know, we like, you know, my favourite player is Vieira. I miss that player in this team. I miss going to Old Trafford and, and letting them know we're here and not being intimidated. And we've finally got a player that, that's as strong as anybody in the league and everyone's excited, which tells us what we really secretly want. You know, it's like we, we're, we're missing that ingredient in, in the group. And he's just a serious professional that looks like he wants to dominate his area and I love that about players and hopefully he's going to be as impactful as, as he seems to be yeah. already in two games yeah and uh, hopefully also it won't be a case with so many of Arson signings lately where he gets played in a few positions that aren't his best at first and maybe doesn't get to start a lot of games yeah. in early and gets integrated slowly I mean I'd love to see him playing left wing back against Leicester on Friday um, yeah so agreed all right, a, a lot still to come on to here, uh, and we're approaching the hour mark. So zipping through just really quickly, I mean, I want to get to the penalty shootout just for a second. And hilariousness of Courtois' miss aside, and then Murata missing, and the fact that we won a penalty shootout uh, without Czech saving a penalty still. 
Um, I think one thing that has been leveled at Arsenal is that we are fragile, that we are mentally fragile, that we have this fragility. Um, and, and Arsene is always laughed at when he talks about our great mental strength. I mean, I, I know it's just the community shield. And it doesn't matter that much. But is it kind of encouraging to see a group of Arsenal players all step up and all put their penalties in the back of the net? I mean, that really is more a test of uh, mental resolve than it is physical capabilities because any professional footballer can, when the pressure is off, stick a penalty in the back of the net, doing it when the pressure is even, you know, 75% on can make that different, as we saw with Murata and Courtois. So for you, is is the nice thing there, not just that it gave us the win, but that it's maybe just a little signal that we have some players that, that have a little bit more bottle about them? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was only a few months ago we were talking about our inability to win big games. I'm not saying that's a big game, but... I haven't forgotten the City and Chelsea games last season. Like they were big games, and we delivered in those games, and we delivered in in different ways. You know, going behind in one game, and and then coming back to win it, and then winning the cup final. Well, could have won it by more. And um, and we we went into this game, and I didn't feel we were going to be inferior in any which way or form. And the, the extra security of the extra defender makes me feel confident. Mentally, we're growing up. I mean, we're growing up. So I'm. I'm hastened to be over positive and over, but you know, over encouraged. But I've been encouraged for a while now. The results, the trend line is good. The results are good. I know people are saying we're still conceding, but I feel better. I feel better as we move through the pitch. I like what I'm seeing. I, I like how we're finding players, and um, I just think we just need to do the the work now with the squad, the housekeeping that's required, just to sharpen minds to let people know yes you belong here i want you so you now start playing like that and the ones that are not wanted can go and go and do their careers elsewhere and make and make their millions if we do that i think we'll see another edge and um i think it'd be good yeah it's tough because i mean it's hard to look at this squad and and see without ozil and without alexis um and say as as encouraging as this was and it was encouraging Welbeck, Iwobi, uh, Elneny, Chaka, these aren't big goal-getters. You know, if yeah. Lacazette's not going to get you 30, this could be a team that's that's short on goals if, you know, we don't have Alexis and Ozil playing the whole season and playing well. So, I mean, that that's my next question. Just in terms of the lineup, seeing us without Ozil, without Alexis, without Ramsey, I wasn't so worried for what it would mean on the day, but I was worried for what it means going forward do you have any concerns? I mean, at this point, you know, it, it sure looks like Alexis is not going to play against Leicester. Ozil and Ramsey are already being talked about as potentially missing. I mean, how, how concerned are you that, that, I mean, with Ramsey, with respect to Ramsey, I don't think it's an issue beyond injury, but how concerned are you now that maybe one or both might be gone? Well, as uh, Alexis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it's almost like you can't worry about it because, um, the decision has been taken. I think he's going to stick to it. Everything I've read and the little whispers that you hear to say that he's serious. So I'm sure there's a number out there. Someone dropped a number in the right time window of like 70, 80 million. I'm sure that'll make the club think. And I think, you know, from what I've read, that Mares would be the elected replacement if if he was to go. So they have a plan B. I mean, it's um, it's a plan B minus, really, right? Because I mean, that's that's not a like for like on on the quality side. No, it's not. But um, we we did say, you know, we 
if Alexis was to go, we'd need to buy two players to replace him. We've got one in, right? So if he goes, we have two, right? So between them as a collective, we have an opportunity. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I can't worry about these things because you can't, as a fan, you just can't get hung up on, on, on players too much because they will all go and oh, we'll be okay. left behind to watch them. Well, right? let, so, let me ask um, you a different way then. The team that started the Community Shield, yeah. would, would you feel confident of that team getting three points on Friday if that's the team we put out against Leicester? Probably just about, yeah. I mean, um, I would like to see Colasinet start at, at left wing back. And um, I thought Lacazette was, was quietly impressive, actually. And I, I've been waiting to, to debate him. I feel I was a bit concerned, if I'm honest. I, I was never convinced about the signing. Um, I wasn't sure what his key strengths were. I'm not an avid French football watcher, so I wasn't as informed as many other people seem to be on Twitter. But the people I know that really I respect that really really rated him. So I, I, I didn't, I didn't re- overreact initially, and um, I, I, I didn't see super speed. I didn't see super power. I just saw a player that looked quite languid, and I thought, okay, let's see how he goes. But the Chelsea back three is a, is a is a strong back three. And he kept coming off them at ease, and I always look for I always look for connection and, and, and wavelength. And I think we're going to see a completely different player when he's on the same pitch with Ozil and Sanchez. And I think I really do think there's something in this boy. I tell you, I, I'm really encouraged by what he did. What he does is so calm, and he brings a level of assurance that Welbeck doesn't bring. Mm-hmm. Just a calmness and a certainty about what I'm doing. He, there's one part where the ball came to his feet on the left-hand touch line, on the halfway line, and he shaped to go left, came in right, popped it inside, out to the right wing, and then, then followed his pass, and that ended up in the shot that hit the, that hit the post. But the movement was so smooth. The timing of the pass was so good. The defenders didn't read what he's going to do he doesn't mark himself in the box he doesn't run in like a school kid at playground at playtime and just run to center fourth position he keeps the line of i call it line of communication open so you always make sure that when the crosser can see his boots that's what you teach a striker can he see my boots and he just and he and he and he's just got the trick of timing and um and that's a that's a unique skill harry kane's got that skill and I and I look at Harry Kane sometimes, and I wonder about his overall talent. But it's not a, it's not a fluke he scores so many goals, and also about his it's IQ. About, yeah, I, I, I wonder about that when I look at him. The timing and the power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I look at him and think, you know, what what do you do? You're not that quick, you know. You what do you do? But I tell you what, he does do. He he's a master of of his trade around the penalty area, and he's got a clear mind when he goes to execute mm. his finish. This kid, uh, Lacazette's got something of that in him, and I'm, I'm very interested to see him. I'm a bit worried about his size and physicality, but let's see how he goes. Let's see how he goes. He definitely looks like an Arsenal player, that's for sure. I mean, look, we had a striker with size and physicality for several years in Olivier Giroud, and while he has certainly served us well, he did not have what it, what we needed to take us on to the next level. So yeah. trying it another way you know, is fine with me. I think... The scary thing now is the volume of business that still looks like it has to be done, certainly on the outgoing side, before anyone really is going to come in. And then, of course, what could happen with not as much Ozil, but Alexis. And, I, you know, there's so many questions left. In fact, I had wanted to do a season preview pod with all of us. 
But I just don't think it makes any sense to do a season preview where we project out what we're expecting and you know prognosticate about the season up, coming up until we have a little more clarity on the yep. squad. And there's just still so many questions. And <clears throat> if I have a frustration, it is simply that we are once again on the brink of the start of a new season with a fair amount of business to conclude. So... You know, yeah, there, there was a great article in one of our papers at the Telegraph over here. It says, Arsenal squad full of too many good players, but not enough great ones. And that basically sums us up. So we need to sell a couple of the good ones to maybe buy one or two great ones. Yeah, look, look Clive, the do. last two Premier League champions, Chelsea and Leicester, and actually Chelsea again before them, I don't think, I mean, Leicester certainly didn't have a squad, and Chelsea don't have much of a squad. They had fantastic 11s, first 11. And Arsene has gotten himself into a situation where he has a big squad of quality players. But I don't know if he has a strong enough first-choice 11 as it stands. Um, Certainly if Alexis and Ozil stay, and and you can put all the the names out there that you think of, the hole in it might be that Shaka partner. And if you got someone who was really special, really special talent, like a Kovacic, Kovacic, Kovacic type guy yep. to play alongside Shaka, and you put Ozil and Alexis and Lacazette in front of that with Bellerin and, and Kolasinac on the wings and, and pick any of your three center backs, now, you, now you're talking about a first 11 that can go or should go and compete for the league. Um, let's leave it there. We have our first match of the season coming up on Friday, obviously. We'll do a pod after that. Depending on where the squad looks after that, maybe we can do our quote-unquote season preview. But more than likely, yep. we'll save that for around deadline day when likely we'll still be scrambling to get things done incoming and outgoing. Um, <laughs> we'll be crying. We'll be crying on that day. Well, at least at least we're used to it. Uh, uh, Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you. Yep, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Please give us a five-star review. Not for this pod. This one was terrible, uh, but for the other pods. And then you can write the nasty stuff about this particular podcast, uh, this this episode, uh, in the comments section. But we will be back after the Leicester match. Um, really looking forward to it. I know, Clive, it's probably funny, right? Like, as someone who can't get to the stadium uh, more than every couple of years, um, you know, the one thing about supporting Arsenal means trying to carve out time at, you know, 7 in the morning or 6 in the morning or 8 in the morning, whatever it is, on a Saturday yeah. or Sunday to watch the game. But, like, one forty-five or 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon? Yeah. Oh, wow. Let's knock work on that's the head cool. and get out the drinks. And, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it actually works that's out going to be a good start to the yeah. weekend. Or, or, alternatively, ruin it real early. Um, we'll see. Okay, really appreciate it. We'll be back after the game. So, up the arsenal. Brand new season. Total positivity. I promise my negativity is on hold until Saturday morning. Cheers. We'll talk to you later. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.